classic welcome to the jungle songs we're so glad you're here celebrating our 15th birthday happy birthday to you to us but I wonder have you ever been afraid to grow up to be like your parents kind of like those progressive insurance commercials you know our character is actually revealed in the midst of trying times but uh, but a new year gives us a chance for a new start We don't have to be doomed to a particular future. We can make decisions that change the trajectory of our life. But I wonder if you could look back at moments in your life when that lack of character was obvious. Like when you were treated unfairly. How did you respond? When I was a kid, I got spanked. Anyone else get spankings? It's all right. CPS can't go backwards in time. Get your parents in trouble. I got spanked, and there was a particular moment. I was a preteen. I was getting a little old probably for spankings, but I was innocent, and my dad threatened to spank me for something I had not done. Now, I had not been honest before, so he had reason to doubt my pleas of innocence. And in the end, I got a spanking. A couple days later, my brother confessed. I had been unjustly spanked. And my dad came to me and he said, Eric, I want to apologize. In fact, to show you how sorry I am, I am going to let you spank me. (laughs) Now, I do not know what he was thinking in that moment. This seemed too good to be true. My only thought was he was hoping I would say, oh, no, Father, your, your kindness and your humility, I've learned my lesson enough. That is not what I did. I pulled my belt off so fast, I looked like Indiana Jones with his whip. And I took two steps back. My dad kind of slowly put his hands on his knees, <laughs> took another two steps back, got a running start, and just pop as hard as I could. My dad jumped up. It's like, ah, why did you hit me so hard as he was running around the room? I said, because you let me. <laughs> what did you think I was going to do, let up? You see, I, I, I had grown up being told, if you don't stop it, just wait till your father got home. I dreamed of a day that my mom would say, now, Pat, if you don't act right, just wait till Eric gets home, right? <laughs> now, underneath, it, it showed something within me. See, I, I, I might have tried to portray being a good kid, but underneath, there was a lot of anger, a, a desire even for revenge. It revealed something ugly. My response to an accidental injustice was an even uglier issue, a lack of character. And we all struggle with this, if we're honest. We might say one thing, but think another. We might be one way on social media and another person in real life. And it's called hypocrisy. We don't like that description of ourselves, 
but it's hard not to be one if we're being very honest. And I'm not just talking about people of faith who are called hypocrites. That's a problem that we do need to overcome, but all of humanity struggles to live up to our own values, our own standards, our own New Year's resolutions. But a hypocrite is a person who claims to have certain beliefs, values, or principles, but behaves in a way that contradicts those beliefs. Hypocrites pretend to be something they're not. They may speak or act in a way that's insincere or deceitful. And they criticize and judge others for doing the very things themselves like to do or have done. A hypocrite describes someone who's not genuine or authentic, that behaves in a way that is inconsistent with their stated beliefs or values. And we hate injustice, but then when we get treated unjustly in our broken human nature, we want to get them back more than they got us. If someone pinches us, we punch them. If someone hurts us, we want to destroy them. And our movies are filled with this desire for vengeance. I mean, just take a look at The Equalizer or Equalizer 2 or Taken, Taken Again, Taken One More Time, right? All three of them. Or even Revenge of the Nerds, one, two, three, and four, right? We seem to fantasize of a, as a culture of, of taking down other people for hurting us without taking the time to hear from someone what may explain their behavior. We seem to like to just add to the list of people we don't want to trust. And to talk about when it comes to hypocrisy of people of faith, I mean, some of us may be here struggling to believe in God because of people who claim to believe in God and how they've acted. And this is a real issue. Too many messengers of Jesus have lacked integrity, have made awful choices, or even done evil things. But I want to encourage you, if you're on a spiritual journey of considering God and Jesus, I want to just encourage you, don't let the evil choices of others keep you from a beautiful relationship with God. Too many people claiming to be Christians don't, have not represented Jesus well. And as you examine and explore God for yourself, have an open heart and open mind. Look at the lives of people of character and consider what's helping them live publicly the same way they live privately. I mean, think about it. If you've been to a restaurant, have you ever had bad service? Just because you had bad service at one restaurant didn't mean you will forever never eat out again. And yet sometimes we allow a few bad apples to get in the way of what God might have for us. Don't give up on the journey of searching for the God who's pursuing you. Because of our flaws and our imperfections, we can misrepresent God way too often. But God invites us to consider a better way. And this better way requires trusting Him and making the right choices privately and publicly. And there are people of character who actually live out what they say they believe. People who can be trusted. We're in this series, Welcome to the Jungle, and we're looking at a person named Daniel. And Daniel was born in a time in history when his people were corrupt. In fact, things were so corrupt that God allowed them to be taken over by the Babylonians. They were captives, taken into an evil kingdom. And there was a temptation, I'm sure, to be 
hypocritical to, to just reject their beliefs. I mean, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians do. But Daniel decided to do something different. Even though he came from a bloodline that had become corrupted, he decided to go a different direction and choose character in the midst of his exile. Let's pick up the story in verse 3 of chapter 1 in Daniel. It says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Now, in this passage, Daniel and his friends have been taken captive by the king of Babylon and brought to the royal court. And Daniel and his friends had lost everything. I mean, they were nobility when it came to their time in Jerusalem. Now they were kidnapped, taken hostage, living in a hostile country. And as was custom in civilizations at that time, more than likely they were castrated so that they might be controlled by those responsible for them. But perhaps at this point, they just felt lucky to be alive. And they're given the opportunity to receive the best education. I mean, they could have been out working manual labor, but they had this opportunity to, to work among the royal court. The best education, best training, which most likely included demonology and astrology and divination. And they were also expected to eat the food and drink offered to the gods of Babylon. Some of the food was probably considered unclean as well. It could have included meat that may not have been drained of its blood or that went against the Jewish law. So what do they do? How do they respond? Notice now in verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Now, Daniel, in these undesirable circumstances, did not quit. I mean, he, if he had, there would, no be, there would not be a story of Daniel. He probably would have been killed. We would not have the story of a, a young man who grew up to have dreams and become a leader in a pagan government to discover some of the mysteries of God. But instead, he decided to trust God in the midst of these difficult circumstances, but not compromise his faith and serve the king well. He was okay with the new names they were given. He was okay with the language and the literature that they were to learn. But when it came to violating the laws of God, of the people at that time, he drew a line. See, we can learn from him that we're not called to die on every hill. We're called to die to ourselves and not violate the commands of God. So Daniel and his friends stand firm in their faith, and they request to be allowed to eat only vegetables and water for 10 days. They trust in God to provide for them and protect them. Now, it's interesting. I, I need to tell you this, that 
We don't have the same food laws now as we're seeing in the Old Testament. These food laws were given to the people of Israel so they might survive while living in the wilderness. In fact, what we see is anything that's affirmed in the New Testament, we continue to do. But what we discover in the New Testament is that God doesn't determine whether or not someone is unclean or not by what they eat, but by what they think and how they act. In fact, now eating meat is completely permissible, including bacon. (laughs) But eating meat, even sacrificed to idols, is okay as long as it doesn't cause another person to stumble. By the way, this message is not about vegetarianism or veganism or becoming more of a carnivore, all right? We all have different ideas on this, and we can respect each other with that. In fact, a friend of mine is not a vegetarian for ethical reasons. He does not think it's ethical to eat anything that cannot run for its life. (laughs) And so we all have different views, right? But Daniel doesn't get publicly upset about being in a foreign land or under a wicked king or having to get a degree in the occult or his new name or becoming a eunuch because Daniel is more concerned with honoring God than his physical desires. And who would have blamed him if he had just gone his own way? I mean, his parents, his aunts, his uncles were probably all killed. There was no one to insist that he follow the law and the traditions. But see, he had a devotion to God. And so he comes up with this clever response to the officials' concern. He says this in 11. It says, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Now, this is very important to Daniel. He believed he was doing the right thing, even though there was risk involved. Verse 15, at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men. Who ate the royal food? So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. I'm quite sure they were not happy with Daniel and his friends at that point. They were no longer having access to the royal rations. See, what happens is sometimes if you make a good decision and you make decisions based on your character, your values, your beliefs, it actually makes other people uncomfortable. There are times you will be mistreated because you're actually doing the right thing. But see, God blessed their sacrifice. Notice what happens in verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Or you might also know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they entered into the king's service, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. See, their faith was rewarded. Their sacrifice was rewarded. At the end of the ten days, they were healthier, better nourished than the others. See, their faithfulness and their commitment to God and their beliefs, it actually reflected in their public lives, which ultimately led to their success. See, God will bring supernatural provision when we make decisions that require supernatural help. 
They were stronger, not because of their diet, but because of a decision to trust God. See, God is most concerned with our hearts. He doesn't look at us the way people do. It says this in 1 Samuel 6, 16. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Lord, Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, God is looking at us. He knows our heart. Do you want to follow him? Do you want to trust him? Do you want to live a life of integrity? He can help us do that. When we choose to live our lives with integrity, who we are privately is reflected in how we live publicly. This means being true to our values, our beliefs, even when it's difficult. And in this new year, I, I hope that's part of your hope for 2023. That you grow spiritually to become more of who God's created you to be. In this new year, we've created resources to help you in that. Pray First, which was an amazing experience this past week. I hope you took advantage of that. We were part of that. Or, or making coming Sundays a priority every week. Or, or joining a group, finding a place to connect with others. This life is too hard to do on our own. And, and that's why we've made, just in the next few weeks, opportunities to get to know people that are in the same stage of life. If you're a parent of children, come a little bit early next week. In between services, we're doing a parent hang. Or if you're a parent of a teenager, come on Wednesday night, bring your kids to, can, to go to the students while you get to know other parents in this season of life. Or if you're in your 20s or you're in college or 20s and 30s, they get together, two different groups, on Thursday night here. Or 50-plus empty nesters, Tuesday night, we have an event designed to get to know others your age and in, in stage of life. See, these are just opportunities, but until we step into community, we don't have the support we need to become all that God has created us to be. And learning to spend time on your own in this new year, which is part of the design of Pray First. Learning to spend time in prayer and the scriptures and to hear God's voice throughout the week, in between Sundays and when your group meets. And one of my goals for the year is to go through the New Testament. And I decided to, to kind of create the space that you can go along with me using social media. And I'm not very good with social media. And so I didn't think it would be as hard as it's become. But I, I thought I could create a video and then just like, you know, send it through all the little channels. But that's not how it works. Every channel wants you to edit in their style. And so it's become a little bit cumbersome. But I, I'm getting the hang of it and getting out ahead. And, but I have to tell you, as I've been doing this, I've just been captured by this new kingdom Jesus has brought. Jesus has literally brought a new way of seeing reality. And he teaches the crowds about this new way in the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. Which, by the way, is the Old Testament law designed to keep people from punching when they were just pinched. Someone takes an eye, you don't get to kill them. You just get an eye, right? There's this idea of mercy and equality. But see, Jesus is taking thing, everything up a notch 
The law says don't murder. I say you shouldn't even have anger in your heart. The law says don't commit adultery. I say you shouldn't even have lust in your heart. The law says eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, verse 39, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, this teaching has greater theological implication than just hit me again, but this time harder, right? It's not about going the extra mile just to impress the Roman oppressor. It's not about giving someone your tunic just so that you might be seen as generous, What Jesus is saying in this teaching is that we need to enact our humanness in the face of evil. See, for the Romans to engage, they're used to hitting someone, but they're not used for someone getting up and allowing them to hit them again. And it's impossible to pull off with God's help. But if we were to start living this kind of sacrificial life, it would turn the world upside down. Instead of just someone hurting us and we hurt someone else and someone hurting us and we hurt someone else, this cycle can stop when we become those willing to sacrifice. See, in the same way, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. invited us and those of his time to see the humanness of African Americans. In fact, did you know that Gandhi and Dr. King actually applied what Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount in order to gain independence and make progress for their people in what's called civil disobedience. When Gandhi was asked by Lord Byron, a British political person, how can we solve the problems between Great Britain and India? Gandhi goes over and picks up a Bible. He turns to Matthew chapter 5. And says this, when your country and mine shall get together on the teachings laid down by Christ in this Sermon on the Mount, we shall have solved the problems not only of our countries, but those of the whole world. You see, Jesus taught us to deal with injustice with kindness. And it was Gandhi and Dr. King who applied this to their society and brought transformation. Many of you might know this story about me, but I was... Born the day after Dr. King's birthday. His birthday is actually today. If he had not been assassinated at the age of 38, he'd be 94 today. But as a kid, I I was fascinated by Dr. King because our birthdays were so close. And I remember as a kid, I I wanted to grow up to be some sort of combination of Dr. King and Andy Kaufman. (laughs) Because Andy Kaufman's birthday is the day after my birthday. If you don't know who he is, he was portrayed in a movie by Jim Carrey who also has the birthday January 17th. Same sort of actor, comedian. And I wasn't sure what a combination of Dr. King and Andy Kaufman looked like. I just knew I wanted the world to be a better place and I wanted to make people laugh. And I can tell you growing up and and discovering faith at the age of about 17 and then really trying to grow in that faith and growing up in the Dallas area and then spending time in college in Waco and then moving to Seattle and then Los Angeles and now Austin... I've discovered along the way 
what God was calling me to do, what it means to be this kind of person. I'm not Dr. King or Andy Kaufman. I have my own voice, and it is this. God has called me to stand up for the rights of those who don't yet believe, to create the space where people who are uncertain that there is a God discover that God is not only there, but he loves them. To be a part of a community that goes and brings more of heaven to earth, more of the joy and the love and the peace that he offers us, that it might bubble over and out of our lives into our neighborhoods, into our homes, into our workplaces. See, as followers of Jesus, we need the courage to become men and women of integrity, people with courage, people with character, that live a public life that matches our private life. And if we were, it would, t- it would change everything. I love this quote from Dr. King, who was a follower of Jesus, although not perfect, none of us are, yet willing to live sacrificially for what he claimed to believe. In fact, on the 50th remembrance of his assassination, the Westminster Abbey revealed a statue that they put up along the wall where you can see Dr. King along with other saints in the church. But he once said this. It really inspires me. It's almost like a prayer. He said this, may I stress the need for courageous, intelligent, and dedicated leadership. Leaders of sound integrity. Leaders not in love with publicity, but in love with justice. Leaders not in love with money, but in love with humanity. Leaders who can subject their particular egos to the greatness of the cause. God, give us leaders. A time like this demands great souls with pure hearts and ready hands, leaders who possess opinions and a will, leaders who will not lie, leaders who can stand before the demagogue and damn his treacherous flatteries without winking, tall leaders, sun-crowned, who live above the fog in public duty and in private thinking. The world needs us to become who God's created us to be. And you need to know that God is calling you too. He has a calling on your life. He invites all of us not only to know him and follow him, have a relationship with him, but to discover the beauty of a life trusting him. Our private character should outweigh our public persona. We might put God in our Instagram bio, but he's absent from how we live our life. But when we become people of integrity, when we choose to have a trustworthy character, when we choose to serve those who need help, when we choose to stand for those being treated unfairly, when we choose to stand up for someone mistreated because of the color of their skin, when we choose to love our enemies, when we choose to stand against injustice with kindness, we are allowing God to work in us and through us because we're leaning on him to help us live out our faith privately and publicly. The band is going to come and lead us in a song. And I need to remind you, the way to enter into this new kingdom, this heavenly kingdom, which starts now and continues into eternity, is as simple as surrendering our life. Just asking Jesus to forgive us of our self-centeredness, our self-sabotage, our sins. See, Jesus died on the cross taking upon himself all the evils of humanity, and it killed him. And yet on the third day, he rose from the dead. And his spirit lives within all of us who choose to follow him. 
But it's hard to explain, but something supernatural happened when he shed his blood. Trusting that what he did on the cross, the shedding of his blood, is what we need. It actually changes us. The scriptures talk about how the blood of Jesus has the power to cleanse us from all sin and make us new. The shedding of blood also represents a covenant with God. You know that old phrase, have you ever heard that phrase, blood is thicker than water? You know, it originally meant that the blood of the covenant we have with God is more powerful than the water of the womb. We don't have to be afraid of the bloodline with which, with, with which, which, we don't have to be afraid of the bloodline in which we were born. Because the blood of Jesus can change us, can make us new. We don't have to fear the lack of character in our bloodline because his blood allows us experience forgiveness. I want you to consider what Jesus has done for us and what he wants to do in you and through you in this new year as we listen to this.